Our text this morning is John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. This is the word of Almighty God. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you'll see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you're Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Pray with me, friends. Father, we've come to that spot where we are pleading with you now to speak to us in your holy word. We acknowledge your word is your word. This is your voice we have heard. May we hear and interpret and faithfully handle your holy word. May we respond with joy, life, obedience, repentance, all the rest. And will you save souls for your glory? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. There are really two sermons in our sermon for today. That does not mean it will be twice as long, but there will be two. It depends on who you are, what you should hear today. One of the things is for the person who does not yet know Jesus Because in this sermon, in this text, we see people get to know Jesus. Five people are drawn to Jesus in this passage. And we, if there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus, you need to get to know Jesus too, just like these people who were drawn to him. But for Christians, and I'm going to guess that's most of the room, there's something else. Of course, the call to know Jesus is for you too. But the call to share Jesus with other people is present here today. This passage calls us 
to know Jesus, to follow Jesus, to bring others to Jesus. And no matter who you are this morning, God's word has a call on your life. So today, if you're a note taker, I'll ask this again for my curiosity. How many of you are note-taking kinds? All right. There will be seven things at least to write down today. And that's if I don't make up extra points. But they will come fast. So let's join together and let's, as we saw here, as we sang, let's come and see. Let's come and see Jesus. First point, first thing to write down. Point people to Jesus There you go. Point people to Jesus. Look at the first couple verses here, 35 and 36. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. This is very similar to the last time we were in the gospel according to John. John the Baptist, he knew Jesus. This is the third day in which we've seen John the Baptist in this book. In verses 29 through 34, John the Baptist told people how he came to recognize that Jesus is God's promised Messiah. And what we saw in that whole section is that John never pointed to himself. John never made himself central. He always pointed other people to Jesus. John calls Jesus what? Here, the Lamb of God. And we saw that phrase back in verse 34. I'm sorry, verse 29. This week, we're not going to look super deeply into the phrase, the Lamb of God, and what it means, because I'm hoping next week, Lord willing, to actually look at the whole of chapter one, because there are so many titles given to Jesus. I think it would really be worth it for us to line them up together. So I'll just point out that it's here, and next week, Lord willing, we'll come back and see. But what makes today's passage different than a couple weeks ago is the way, is who John's talking to. Verses 19 to 28, John was talking to a delegation of people from Jerusalem. They were hostile to him, and they were asking him about his identity. But verses 29 through 34, we don't know for sure to whom John was talking. We assume it's just the basic crowd around him. But here, John speaks straight at two of his disciples, two men John had led spiritually. John had taught them. John had spent time with them. John had a relationship with these guys. Undoubtedly, John would have cared for these men because any good teacher, any good pastor cares for those he leads. And what does John do? John points these men to Jesus. John doesn't try to keep them for himself. In fact, John's pointing to Jesus results in these men leaving John to follow Jesus. And that is exactly what John wanted them to do. Let's do a little application here. In your life and mine, we will be tempted to cling to the people we care for. Isn't that true for you? Here's the tough question, thinking about John and his example here. Especially for a Christian parent. Are you willing, Christian, to let your loved ones go? Are you willing, Christian, to point them to Jesus and then send them on their way? Are you willing to entrust them to Jesus 
even if that means that they're going to be called away from you, what if God called them as a missionary? What if God took them to a foreign land? What if God put them somewhere dangerous? Even if it keeps you from enjoying their company or the company of grandbabies, are you willing to point them to Jesus? Or how about some of us who are maybe just thinking more locally, young people with friends, are you willing to point your friends to Jesus? Are you willing to send your friends to Jesus? Are you, are you willing to tell a good friend, hey, let's not watch the ball game together because I think maybe you need to go spend some time with Jesus. Or let's not sit around and talk about the movie we watched last week or gossip about our other friends. Let's talk about what we're learning from the Word of God these days. Maybe you really, really like spending time with your friends, but are you willing to send a friend home early? Cut short a visit, cut short an activity, cut short a game you're playing so you could go to bed early enough so that you're not too tired to go spend time with the Lord the next morning. Or on a Saturday night, are you willing to send somebody home early so that they're able to be awake and hear the word of God preached in the church the next day? Are you willing to call other people away from a focus on you and more toward a focus on Jesus? That's the question. Well, calling people to focus more on Jesus than on himself is what we saw John the Baptist do with his followers. He directs them away from himself. He points them to Jesus, and that's exactly the pattern you and I want to model. Christians, the point is, point people to Jesus. Whether they're people you just met, whether they're longtime friends, whether they're beloved family members, point them to Jesus, and then let them go follow Jesus. And following Jesus is what John's disciples do in point number two. Come to Jesus because he will welcome you. Come to Jesus because he will welcome you. That's why we sang that last song. Verses 37 and 39 say to us, the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. You know, it makes sense that John's disciples would go to Jesus. <laughs> In the previous verses, just of John chapter one, we saw John the Baptist called Jesus the one whose sandals that John was unworthy to untie the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the one who has a higher rank than John, the one who would baptize people in the Holy Spirit, and the Son of God. So there should be no surprise that when John points to Jesus out to his followers, they go to meet the man of whom John has been preaching for all of his ministry. In fact, if they didn't go follow Jesus, if they didn't leave John to follow Jesus, they would fail in following John. And as John's disciples approach Jesus, you get the first words of Jesus in the gospel according to John. Jesus asks them, what are you seeking? What do you want? By the way, is that a simple question or a profound question? 
Well, it's both, isn't it? What are you seeking can mean uh, you're following me around. Why? You ever felt the need to ask that question of somebody before? Do, do you need directions? Do I have something stuck on my shoe? Did I drop something you're trying to bring back to me? Why are you following me? That's one thing that question could mean, right? But there's a profound side to this that you need to hear. What are you seeking? Why are you really following me? What is it you hope to gain? Is it me you seek or what I can give you? It's not a harsh question, but it's a simple invitation for the disciples to express their hearts to the Savior. And I would say to you that Jesus would ask you that question right here this morning. What are you seeking? Why are you here today? Are you here because you want to visit with some friends? By the way, that's not a bad reason to leave the house, but that doesn't really include the Savior necessarily. Are you here because somebody made you come? Well, first of all, I'm glad they did. Are you here because you want to check the box on a religious obligation? Are you here because you want to look like a good person so you can see and be seen? None of those lead you to the Savior. In contrast with many churches of our day, this is not one of those churches that you come to so you can learn three ways to tame your temper or five ways to better manage your money or two tricks in potty training. Toddlers or the seven dating do's and don'ts. We don't do that. We're here. I pray this is true, Christian. We're here to meet Jesus. And if you're here to meet Jesus, to get to know Jesus, to worship Jesus, to hear the word of Jesus, to serve Jesus, if that is your heart, you can expect good things. Because God says your desires will be fulfilled. Why did John's disciples follow Jesus? They don't actually tell us. They ask a telling question, though. They call Jesus rabbi, teacher, and they give him respect. And they asked Jesus, where, where, are you, where, are you, where are you staying? By the way, if you didn't know the people and they came up and asked you that question, that's a weird question, isn't it? Hi, where do you live? Uh, well, it's probably late in the afternoon. And maybe they're thinking, well, maybe he's got something to do. He's the teacher, he's important, maybe he's busy. Maybe, where could we go find him? some other time when would it be more convenient where do we find you Jesus if we wanted to look for you and find you where would we look it could be that they're communicating a desire right now to follow him wherever he goes where do you stay because where you stay that's where I stay where do you go that's where I go remember Ruth I will go with you wherever you go and your people will be my people and your God my God by the way, in case you don't know it, the Greek word for disciple is literally a word that means follower, somebody who follows somebody around. These, these guys might be saying they want to be Jesus' followers. But what I want you to see, and I want it to warm your heart, Christian, is how Jesus responds. He says, come and see. Come and see. Jesus doesn't give them an address. 
Jesus doesn't give them directions. He just invites them, come along. Let's go. I will show you. Jesus welcomes them and they follow him. They spend the rest of the day with Jesus and these men are forever changed because of their encounter with the Savior. You ever have somebody ask you, what are you doing for lunch today? And you really don't want them to know? Maybe, maybe you want to be alone. You ever have that? Someone asks you what you're doing for lunch, you're like, I really want to be by myself. Maybe, maybe you just don't want them trying to mooch a free lunch off of you. So you give them, what kind of answer do you give? If, if you don't want them to know where you're going for lunch, you don't want them mooching lunch off you, what do you say? Well, I don't know. I haven't really figured that all out yet. That is not welcoming. But Jesus, he welcomes these men who come to him. He says, what are you looking for? What do you want? He saw that they wanted to get to know him. They came to Jesus for Jesus and Jesus welcomes them. He welcomed them. And you know what? He does the very same thing today. Would you like to know Jesus? Would you like a relationship with the God who created you? Well, just come. He will not exclude you. God doesn't leave you out based on being busy that afternoon. God doesn't turn you away based on your ethnic background. If you, he doesn't care what skin color you are. He doesn't care how old or young you are. He doesn't care if you're a man or if you're a woman. And get this, he will not turn you away from him because of your past failures. Do any of you have any past failures? Jesus welcomes all who come to him for him. Now, let me add to you, you can't trick him. You can't pretend that you want Jesus but really be seeking a better job or a pretty spouse. He will not be toyed with. But if you want to get to know Jesus, he will always, always, always welcome you. So come to Jesus for the sake of Jesus and he will invite you, come and see you get to know Jesus, it'll have an impact on your life. It certainly had an Im impact immediately on a guy named Andrew here in the passage. Point number three, bring people to Jesus. Bring people to Jesus. Look at verses 40 and following. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Andrew is one of the two disciples of John the Baptist. Likely the other one whose name isn't given here is the John who wrote this gospel. <laughs> and right away, Andrew, he gets to know Jesus. He wants other people to know Jesus too, so Andrew goes to get his brother Simon. By the way, you have to love Andrew in the gospel according to John. Three times in the gospel according to John, you see Andrew. And you know what he's doing every single time you see him? He's walking somebody up to Jesus. That's what Andrew does. He finds people, he says, I got somebody you need to meet. And he walks them up to Jesus. He goes and gets his brother here. He says to Simon, we found the Messiah. That's a Hebrew word 
The word Christ is a Greek word that means the same thing as Messiah. They both mean anointed. And Andrew's telling Simon, hey, we have found the one that God has been promising. We found the Lord's anointed, the promised king of Israel. Andrew probably made that connection from John the Baptist calling Jesus son of God in verse 34. And look, Andrew brings Simon to Jesus. You know, a lot of Christians are afraid of evangelism. We're afraid of being embarrassed. We're afraid we won't have all the right answers to all the hard questions. Do you see that in Andrew here? Not really. Why didn't he fear? Because he knew that he had to show Simon Jesus. And I would tell you, Christian, that is your call too. You want to share Jesus? You don't need a big evangelistic strategy. I'm fine if you've got one, but you don't have to have one. You don't need a clever tract or a neat gimmick. You just need to know Jesus. Never hide Jesus in your evangelism. Never think you're going to sneak Jesus in the back door. Never make evangelism about philosophy and science or ethics. I mean, those are fine things to talk about, but that's not the gospel. Show people Jesus. Did Jesus change your heart? If Jesus changed your heart, you can trust that Jesus has enough power to change the hearts of your lost friends and loved ones too. Remember, the gospel writer has spent a lot of energy so far in this book. He introduces Jesus to us as God. He wants people to get to know Jesus. That's what evangelism is all about. So here's what you do. You open the Bible and you show people Jesus. You live with godly character and point people to Jesus. You speak the scriptures and show people Jesus and let that be the way you bring them to Jesus. You show people Jesus, they're going to be confronted with the truth of God's word and God, it's God's job to take it from there. I'm not saying don't learn your apologetics, but I'm saying don't stress if you don't have them. You get it? So, like Andrew, bring people to Jesus and you'll see what Jesus will do. He changes people's lives. In fact, he does that in the next encounter in point number four. Come to Jesus because he will give you a new future. Point number four, come to Jesus because he will give you a new future. Look at verse 42. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and, and said, you're Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. When Jesus meets Simon, two things happen right away. First, Jesus identifies exactly who Simon is at present. You are Simon, the son of John, Simon Barjona. And then he says, and here's who you will be. You will be Cephas. You will be Peter. The word Cephas means rock. How's that for a name? I know your name's Anthony, but you're going to be rocky. That's good, right? That's good. We know from the Synoptic Gospels later in the ministry of Jesus, he tells Peter, your faith is the kind of rock upon which I will build my church. At this point, he's not necessarily changing his name, but what he is doing, he's letting Simon know, I know your future, and your future is bright. 
Your future is bigger than you think. You know, through the Bible, we see person after person receive a new name. Abram becomes Abraham. Jacob becomes Israel. Saul of Tarsus is, the, is Paul, the apostle. And with every name change, we see something new in the life of the person, a new life, a new future, a new hope. Soon as Simon meets Jesus, he gets a new name. And guess what, Christian? When you meet Jesus, guess what you get? You get a new name and a new future too. Maybe you didn't legally change your name on your birth certificate, that's fine. But your future changes. You will change from somebody who's under the wrath of God to being a member of God's own family. You'll change from somebody destined for eternal hell to being someone destined for eternal glory. You will change from somebody who lives for his or her own selfish desires to being somebody who lives for the treasure of the glory of God in Christ. When we meet Jesus, he changes our very futures because he knows who we are and he changes us into something God wants us to become. So why come to Jesus? Come because he will welcome you. Come because he changes your future and he makes it something bright and meaningful. He did it for Peter. He did it for anybody who comes. He'll do it here in just a minute for Philip and Nathaniel. Let's look at point number five. You still with me? All right. Point number five. Introduce people to Jesus. (laughs) Look at the next verses, 43 and following. Introduce people to Jesus is the point. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see Can I ask you, are you seeing a pattern in some of the points? I'm glad. Jesus meets Philip the next day. Philip, he he looks at Jesus. You get this two words, guys, two words. Jesus says, follow me. And that two-word command comes from Jesus to every person on the earth. In fact, how you respond to the command of Jesus, follow me, That has everything to do with your forever in the future. You know that, right? Jesus says, follow me. You say, no thanks. You are under the wrath of God forever. Jesus says, follow me. And before you die, you say, yes, Lord. You're in God's family forever. It's a big deal. Well, Philip follows, praise God, and immediately he goes to get his brother, just like Andrew, just like John the Baptist. As soon as Philip knows who Jesus is, he is eager to introduce somebody else to Jesus. That's why points one, three, and five are, guess what, the same point. Yes, I know I use different words, but they're the same point. Same thing happens three times right here. This time, Philip calls Jesus what? Him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. You know, he could have just called Jesus Messiah or Christ, but he demonstrates right here that Philip understands that all of the Old Testament scriptures point to the coming of the, of the Messiah, and they do. All the Bible, all the Old Testament is God promising and promising and promising and promising and promising and promising and promising to send Jesus. So you young folks, you little children in the room, 
Somebody ever asked you, what's the Old Testament about? It's about God promising Jesus to the world. It's about God showing the world how much they need Jesus. It's about God making the way for Jesus to come. It's about God preparing the path for Jesus to arrive. But all of the Old Testament is God promising and promising and promising Jesus. Well, Nathaniel here, he's Philip's brother. In the Synoptic Gospels, his name is Bartholomew. And Nathaniel is a little bit skeptical. See, apparently, Nathaniel doesn't have a high opinion of people from Nazareth, so he responds a little sarcastically with the question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Where would we say that about, by the way? First of all, you goofballs live in Las Vegas. What are you going to say? Pahrump is the answer. You're exactly right. (laughs) Tell me I'm wrong. Go ahead. California. Same, same, right? (laughs) Sorry if that's painful for anybody. Now, why, why is Philip not offended when Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Because Philip knows this. It's not about Philip. It's about Jesus. So you know what he says? Come and see. Just, just come check it out. Do you see the evangelistic model here? You go to somebody, you tell them who Jesus is, and you, you do it from the scriptures. You invite them, look with me. See Jesus, come see Jesus, and then you let the word of God penetrate and change their hearts. So yes, that means you should know Jesus yourself. Yes, it means you should know the word of God probably better than you actually do right now. You should keep working and studying. But you know what the fact is? If you know Jesus, you can, you must invite other people to know Jesus too. That's your job, Christian. And I fear, like I said before, that something that prevents many of us from pointing people to Jesus is a fear that we don't know enough to argue with them. You ever fear that way? Well, I'd tell that person about Jesus, but I don't know how to argue them into the kingdom. We fear that we don't have the training in apologetics to really make a difference. But right here, Philip, what's Philip's apologetic strategy? There's not one. Philip says, look, just come and see Jesus with me. Again, I love apologetics. They're fine tools, especially in getting somebody to listen to you. But the truth is, Christian, and hear me for exactly what I mean, there is not one apologetic argument that has ever or will ever save a soul. You know that's true, don't you? You know what saves souls? When people meet Jesus. Only the work of God on the human heart will save a lost soul. Philip says to Nathaniel, come see Jesus. And that's exactly what we're called to do. And I want you to look and see what happens when we obey the call. Point number six. I don't have enough fingers now. Point number six. Come to Jesus because he truly knows you. Come to Jesus because he truly knows you. 47 and following, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. So Nathanael walks up to Jesus, and Jesus identifies him, not by name this time, but by character. 
He knows Nathanael's heart. He says Nathanael is truly an Israelite. There is no deceit. There's no guile in him. By the way, that's a really ironic choice of word to call him an Israelite, a true Israelite in whom there's no guile. Do you all remember who the original Israel is? What's, the, what's Israel's first name originally? Jacob. What does Jacob mean? Cheater? Heel grabber? Little tricksy thief? The original Israel, Jacob, he was known for guile. He was known for deceit. He lied about his identity. He schemed his way into stealing his brother's birthright and blessing. Only after God confronted Jacob with a night-long wrestling match does Jacob admit his name and be so honest about who he is and then he receives the new name and new identity from God. He's called Israel. Jesus, Jesus says, Nathaniel, he's already honest. And Nathaniel's feelings, they're not hidden. There's nothing misleading about who Nathaniel is. What you see is what you get. Nathaniel is an honest Israelite, a man who tells the truth about who he is and what he thinks. And we see this already, right? How did Nathaniel respond to Philip's statement about Jesus being from Nazareth? Nobody's going up to Nathaniel going, no, really, what do you think about folks from Nazareth? Right? There's no question here. Nathaniel skeptically says to Jesus, how do you know me? And Jesus says something weird. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. No one of us can say for sure why this sentence broke Nathaniel's heart, but it did. When Nathaniel responds to Jesus next, he calls Jesus rabbi. That's a respectful word he didn't use before. And he says, Jesus is the son of God and the king of Israel. He calls Jesus Messiah, just like Philip said. But why? Why did Nathaniel change his tune? What changed his heart? He asked Jesus, how do you know me? And Jesus points to a fig tree. Jesus says to Nathaniel, I know you better than you know yourself. What is it about the fig tree? Is it just that Jesus knew where Nathaniel was before Philip came up to him? I doubt it, but maybe. Maybe there was a day when Nathaniel sat under a fig tree and had a big heart-to-heart -heart with God in which he prayed for the coming of the Messiah. Maybe something very private, very spiritual, very meaningful happened to Nathaniel one day by himself under a fig tree. But whatever it was, Jesus saw something Nathaniel knew no mere mortal man could see, and Nathaniel knew Jesus is the Christ. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 139. And there we're reminded that God can see us no matter where we are, no matter where we go, no matter what we do, God knows you inside and out, right? First four verses of Psalm 139 say, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar, you search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Y'all, Jesus is that God. The O Lord in that passage is Jesus. And he knows you completely. Do you hear what I just said to you? 
He knows you completely. He knows your strength. Every good point you've ever had or ever will have, Jesus knows. Aren't you glad? What if I told you he's not impressed? And he knows every one of your weaknesses and failures. Every failure, every evil thought, every bad habit, every foolish tendency. But, just like we saw with Andrew, you know what he does? Jesus welcomes you when you come to him. Just like with Philip, he calls you, follow me. He knows you and he loves you anyway. And listen to me, not in my notes, but from something I'm reading this week that's just really good. Jesus doesn't just love you. Uh, Dane Ortland wrote, wrote a book that I thought was, it's called Gentle and Lowly. And his illustration is, Jesus doesn't reach out to touch you like a child touching a slug for the first time. You ever seen a little kid start to touch something they're not sure they should touch or not? And it's like, uh, <laughs> you know that feeling, right? You know what I'm talking about? Some of y'all, the first time you touched a frog or one of the desert lizards, you're like, ah! That's not Jesus with you. He knows you and he loves you and he loves loving you. That's who Jesus is. Don't get me wrong, he will judge with wrath those who reject him, but he will welcome and love all all who come to him and he will love loving you he will not look at you and hold his nose he will love you he welcomes you into the family he knows you and he covers up your sins completely with his own sacrifice if you come to him in faith and repentance You know, the fact that Jesus already knows you should lead you to want to be his follower because there is nothing you have left to hide from him. There's nothing for you to hold back from him. He knows it all already. And he offers you membership in his family. He offers you love and eternal life forever. Come to Jesus who knows you fully. Finally, for today, our last point, number seven, come to Jesus because he opens heaven to you. 50 and 51, Jesus answered him, and again, my tone of voice, I think this is right. (laughs) Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Do you get a good picture of Jesus right here? I picture a gleam in his eye. I picture a smile on his face. (laughs) You, You believe because I pointed out the fig tree to you? You ain't seen nothing yet. You, and then he says to the disciples, all of you, that, that you there is a, is, a, is a plural you, you will see heaven open. All y'all are going to see into the heavens themselves and you will see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That line about the heavens being open and the angels coming up and down, 
That's a reference back to Genesis 28. Jacob, remember Jacob's running away from Esau and he has a dream one night about a ladder or a stairway or a big ramp coming out of heaven? Jacob, he was running. He was in danger. He thought he'd gotten away. And then one night in a dream, God shows Jacob, you are in my presence. You are right here where I am. God revealed himself to Jacob. God changed Jacob's life. And the followers of Jesus, they're going to see something even greater than Jacob seeing a ladder to heaven. See, Jacob was later named Israel. He was the patriarch of the nation that becomes God's people. But Jesus, he's more than that. Jesus is the founder of the kingdom of God. He is the one who connects heaven to earth. He is the one who brings men to God. He is the one who brings God to love and connect with men. He is the revelation of God to man. And this is one more reason why you should come to Jesus because if you come to Jesus, you will eventually see heaven itself opened. You will be in the presence of Almighty God. You will be in the new spiritual nation. You will become part of the family of God. You will be connected forever to the God who created all that is. Are you impressed, by the way, with a God who knows everything? Does that impress you? You ain't seen nothing yet. Like I said in the beginning, friends, there are two sermons here. Christians, follow Jesus, get to know Jesus better, bring others to meet Jesus. You should start praying. How can I follow Jesus better? How can I learn more about Jesus? To whom can I show Jesus? And realize this, Jesus is enough. If Jesus changed your heart, he can change anybody's heart. It doesn't depend on your skill. doesn't depend on your goodness. It's just about Jesus. Make it about Jesus. Make your faith about Jesus. Under the word of God, love Jesus. And if you're hearing me and you don't know Jesus, Come to see Jesus. I love that come and see. Come meet Jesus. Why? Come because he will welcome you. Come because he will give you a new future. Come because he knows you completely. And come because Jesus opens heaven to you. Let's pray together, friends. Lord God, I thank you so much for your word. And I thank you so much for this beautiful picture of Jesus. I thank you for a Savior who doesn't say qualify and then maybe I'll think about letting you come to me. I thank you for a Savior who doesn't say be good enough and impress me and maybe I'll let you in. I thank you for a Savior who says come and see. Come and meet me. Come and know me. That's better. That is much, much better. Father, right now, as we are here, I pray that you'll do your work in our hearts, whatever it is. Somebody needs you, I pray they'll meet you. Somebody needs to repent of sin or find hope, I pray they will. God, do your work for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.